0: Awesome. All right. Perfect. Everybody good? Man, look at this. This is so slick. Look at this. <laughs> Two drinks. All I need is like a, a urinal over here. Yeah. All right. That's generally how I begin messages. <laughs> Matthew, bathroom humor thats that's how we start. Well hey, uh, my name is Adam Russell. really, really happy to be with you. I'm mostly over the jet lag so if at some point during this little preach it gets a little weird, it's probably just that. It's, it's probably not the Lord. it's probably just it's probably just jet lag, but I'm going to do my best, all right. Um, I'm from Kentucky, which means it's basically not this. it's like all of the hills, but but different. Uh, We're basically hillbillies, and uh, and most of what you've heard is true. I want to tell you that. Uh, I'm from a really small town, and um, I pastor a Vineyard Church there, and do a lot of this kind of stuff. Like We just love the presence of God, so really, really happy to be here with you to get to talk about, especially one of my favorite things, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Before I do that, uh, I do want to tell you, uh, I have a wife, and I have four kids in addition to the church. Uh, my oldest son is here. What up? And um, his name is River, by the way. Um, super proud of River because yesterday, yesterday, uh, Susan and Andrew took us to the Man U Stadium, right? They were, they were trying to indoctrinate us. They were trying to, they were trying to win us over. Now, I, I have no allegiance, you know. I don't have the emotional connection to football the way that you guys do. But my son plays football. And he likes another team in the, in the Premier League. And so Andrew was on him hard. And we saw the whole tour. And at the end, we go into the gift shop, which is, I mean, it's, it's just manipulation at its finest, right? <laughs> and I said to River, I said, hey, do you want a T-shirt? And, and I was so proud. He said, no, he hung, he hung firm. He, he, he stood his ground. He's an Arsenal man till the end. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, that could be a problem, but he, he, yeah, his allegiances are secure. All right. Here's what I want to do the next couple of nights. I want to talk to you about the work of the Spirit. I want to talk to you about the work of the Spirit. And this is such a precious part of our heritage in the vineyard. And it's, uh, it's precious because in the vineyard, we don't just have a theology of the Holy Spirit, most church movements in the world have a theology of the Holy Spirit. But in the vineyard, it's precious to us because we have an experience with the Holy Spirit. Um, Our our roots are not too far back that we can't remember them. And not only that, but since the very beginning of the vineyard, the things that started the vineyard have been so entwined in the vineyard that they keep us going forward. And so this this is why I love to talk about the Holy Spirit, because we never just talk about the Holy Spirit, like eventually, like we've already seen it today, and eventually tonight We're gonna give some space and we're gonna let the Holy Spirit do the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. We don't just have some head knowledge about the Holy Spirit, we have some experience in the Holy Spirit. This is this is wonderful, wonderful news. And one way to think about your life is this: that all of us are on this 18-inch journey where we're trying to get all the stuff we know down into our hearts, right? We're trying to make that 18-inch journey from our head to our heart. And and in the same way. Uh, when it comes to theology or the things that we believe, we're on this journey with Jesus. And it's kind of like the 18-inch journey. We're on this journey of trying to get the things we say we believe to be the things that we actually experience and live out. And so this is one of the reasons we gather. And it's, it's one of the reasons that, that we have to keep doing this thing and, and keep hanging together. Because it's not enough for us just to know the answers about the Holy Spirit. Because I want to tell you something. Um, there's never going to be a test in heaven. There's never going to be a test in heaven. Um, Many of us have, have answers for tests that are never going to be given. You know? Like we know the multiple choice. Many of us in the room tonight even, we know all the right answers about the love of God. That's great. The question is, have you experienced the love of God? Many of us know all the right answers about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, and we know some technical stuff about the Trinity. That's great. Here's the good news. There will never be a multiple choice question given to you the question is do you know them has it impacted you has it encountered you so I want to tell you that for the next couple of nights we're not just gonna talk about having a theology of the Holy Spirit we want to encounter him now we're gonna make a bit of theology a part of our process along the way but the goal is that everybody here would live like Jesus and the disciples that we would know the Spirit of God and that we would hear the Spirit And then at the end, that we would obey the Spirit. See, here's the thing. It's not just enough to know about the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you one further. It's not just enough to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. The end result is ultimately God wants us to obey the Holy Spirit. That's the money, that's the magic. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that God has predestined you that you'd be conformed to the image of his son. And the image of his son, that'd be Jesus. Part of that confirmation process is not just that we would know something but that we would have an experience and that would be a living reality here all the way up to making you and I the kind of people who would be willing to risk and obey God. This is why the, the Vineyard makes such a big deal about the Holy Spirit. Because I want to tell you something, it's impossible to really obey God. And it's impossible to really step into the things that God wants you to be and wants you to do without the Holy Spirit. You'll not make it. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to read one little passage to you out of the Gospel of Luke. And then we're going to just, we're going to try to bring some things out of it that might be helpful. This is Luke chapter 3. I think maybe we'll put it up. Oh, technology. Love this. Luke chapter 3, we're going to read two entire verses. It goes like this. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Another version I read says you're my son and you make me happy well I wanted to start with this passage and the reason I wanted to start with this passage is because it's a foundation for our understanding and our expectation for the Spirit's work in our lives it's a foundation because this is taking place at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry this is the very very beginning of Jesus's ministry and because it is the beginning of Jesus's ministry I've come to believe that this is how God wants you and I to begin as well. Just like this. I want to talk to you just for a second about foundations. Now I'm no builder and I'm no architect and I also do not play either one of those things on TV, but I do know enough about building to know this, that the foundation is what determines what can be built upon on top. Whatever the foundation is, it is in many ways it is, it is showing you. It is, it, is, it is the limiting factor for what can be placed on top. So a foundation, at least in Kentucky, uh, before you can even lay it, you have to get heavy equipment in. And so you bring the bulldozer or you bring the track hoe in and you, and you dig out all, all the dirt that needs to be removed. And you get all the rocks and you get all the rubble and you get everything that's shaky. And you, you get that stuff out and you, you pile it up in the corner. And then, then you dig some footers out. And then you, then you pour some concrete and maybe you lay some steel rebar in there to reinforce it. And this becomes the thing that you can build on. And a foundation always determines what can be placed on top. Because a foundation works just like this. A foundation is showing you how long the building can be. And it's showing you how deep the building can be. But then the composition of the foundation is also telling you how high the building can be. How grand the structure can be. And so I've come to believe, I've come to believe that this passage is in many ways, it it is the spirit, it is the gospel writers showing us the foundation for having a spirit work in our lives. This is what God wants to do for us. He wants to get our foundations set. He wants to dig deep into the soil of your life. He wants to remove everything that's unstable and everything that's rocky and he wants to put in its place a foundation that can support the work that he intends to build upon your life hopefully hopefully we've read this little passage before and hopefully as I mentioned a moment ago we realized that all of this is taking place at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry here's what that means this is important what that means is that Jesus hadn't done any miracles at this point what that means is Jesus had not preached any sermons at this point this means that Jesus had not multiplied any food and it means that he had not kicked out any demons if he had done anything at all it was simply this he had a regular life with his family and his neighbors and he had somehow, begun, he had somehow began to respond to God's call in his life which basically means these which basically means just this it, it means that somehow he had become aware of the fact that God had called him to something have you ever thought about that when did Jesus know all of this stuff it's a great little thought experiment but somehow he had begun to just realize that God was calling him into something more and somehow he had begun to say yes now by the way To realize that you're called to something and to realize that God might be asking something more, and to even want to say yes to him, this is the very initial work of the Spirit in your life. Who in here knows that God has asked you to do something with him in the earth? Like you know, you don't, you might not be able to define it, but you know God is asking something from me. I feel like I'm called. Are we called? Yeah, if you know, you don't even have to be able to define it. If you know that God is beginning to ask something of you, the Spirit is at work in your life. And the evidence that the Spirit was at work in Jesus' life at this moment was that he got baptized. And how many of you understand that Jesus did not need to be baptized? Jesus had never sinned. He did not need to be cleansed. But he had begun to respond to God, and that response took him into the water. By the way, these are paradoxical waters it's paradoxical because Jesus is the Son of God and he was the Son of God before he went in those waters and when he went in there was this voice that came and it confirmed it once again but he enters the waters as the Son of Man and he came out as one of us he comes into those waters he did not need to be forgiven but he goes in because he wants to identify with humanity Jesus in that moment was a brand new Noah. He was a brand new Moses, but he was better because the New Testament revelation is not just that we can be saved, but it's that God is giving his spirit and he is calling us into his family. Jesus receives a baptism that he didn't need, that the whole world could hear a voice and a word that we were perhaps unprepared to hear. This is how it works. Jesus goes into the water He doesn't need to be baptized. He goes in because he so identifies with us. He's the son of man. And when he goes in, when he goes in, God is not just speaking to Jesus, but God is speaking to all of humanity. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You make me happy. All of this is up front. It's not our action which wins favor with God. It's not our good performance which causes God to give us the Spirit. The Spirit is not a reward in the sense that you earn it. No. The Spirit is the kind and loving heart of God. And it's the foundation of all ministry. It's the foundation for being a disciple. The Spirit is poured out on your life and the affections of God are spoken over you up front. No earning, just like you are. No, I grew up in a fairly charismatic home early in my childhood my parents did home church and then a little bit after we did home church they took my sister and I to this very very charismatic church it was the sort of charismatic church where every single Sunday someone was going to fall down and people were a little bummed out if someone didn't fall down you know it was it was that sort of experience and so from a very early period in my life my sister and I were around a lot of manifestations of the Spirit but what's interesting to me is that even though we grew up around it and even though we saw a lot of manifestations of the Spirit it was all so alien to me and so even when I was a kid and then maybe when I got a little bit older and into middle school and and then even early high school even though I'd been around maybe some things that were Holy Spirit things, it just seemed alien to me. Like, I knew about the Holy Spirit. I knew about him up here. I heard adults talk about it. And I say it because for the longest time, the Spirit was an it to me. Does anybody know what I mean? The Spirit was just an it to me. It was definitely not a him. And it was was absolutely not a welcome person. And if I'm being honest... I would have to say that through my late childhood and early teenage years the Spirit was sort of an embarrassing it. Embarrassing because I really wasn't interested in crying in public. And I wasn't interested in falling down and I absolutely wasn't interested in speaking in tongues. And that was sort of the only context that I had for the work of the Spirit. About the same time I knew about the love of God. At least I knew it Intellectually, I had the right answers. I learned about it in kids' church. But again, it felt like it all was just stuck in my head. God's love had not become personal, it had not made it on that 18 inch journey down into my heart. And then later in my teenage years, some things began to happen to me. And most of it was rooted in the charismatic renewal of the mid 1990s. I'll tell you a couple stories my father-in-law who was not my father-in-law at the time who was the father of the girl that I was interested in took me to a meeting now at the time I was like 17 I was like 17 and he says to me he says Adam why don't you come with me We're, we're gonna go to a meeting and I didn't really know what we were going to turns out it was a renewal meeting some of you guys were around for renewal meetings well this was sort of a big renewal meeting and it was at this place that held about four or five thousand people I wasn't really prepared for what was going to happen and I was 17 and it, this was the early 90s and I was filled with I was filled with Nirvana angst <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I think sometimes I still am you know it's it's part of the process but anyway I was 17 and you know it was it was Nirvana but we had gone to this meeting four thousand people and, it, there were some doors in the back of the, of the room, not, not unlike these. And by the time we get there, worship had already started. And you could hear it outside of the building. We got there just a touch late. And when we walked in the back door, I got maybe ten steps into the room, and I just, I just plowed into the floor. And I'm, I'm just on my face, right? Now, everything in my head is saying, get up, Adam. Just, just get yourself together man but I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it I could hear the singing but that but something else was going on entirely and I'm just barely in the door and and I really can't move and luckily these people were pretty familiar with this sort of happening and some kind people kinda drugged me out of the way and 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 then I, I just sort of remember a custodian type figure I don't know I don't know if he was a janitor or what but a custodian type figure was over there with me and he, and he puts his hand on me and, and he began, basically just began to pray, God, would you convince Adam in his heart that you love him, right? Now, I'm already pretty much down for the count, but all I can tell you about that moment is for the next maybe hour, for the next hour, it was as though I, I still don't have language for it at this point in my life. The only thing I can tell you is I was completely convinced that whoever made me was, was on me right now and i was deeply and and perfectly and forever loved by whoever made me i if i closed my eyes it was it was as though i was held in perfect love and i just i just cried my eyes out i i don't even know why i was crying i was just crying in the moment i didn't know why i was crying with with some reflection i realized it's because i was just held in perfect love by the person who had made me and it didn't it, like it literally didn't matter like and i knew that it was god and here's what's interesting god didn't bring up any of my stuff he didn't bring up any of the things that i figured he would bring up he didn't bring up any of that it was it was as though he was just pouring out his spirit on me and it was it was coming on me in waves it was there were just waves of this this feeling and it was but it was more than a feeling it was touching my heart and it was it was touching my head at the same time and and somehow God was connecting what was in my head to my heart as you can imagine it changed my life it was also not the last time that sort of thing would happen a short time later the small vineyard church that I was a part of sent me to a worship conference in California. I was still 17. It was called a Winds of Worship conference. I was 17 and I had my cousin with me. He, he was like 15. We were just two Kentucky hicks from nowhere and we flew to California alone and and this is before there were any cell phones or anything. And our pastors they gave me $500 in cash. And they gave me a credit card and basically said, "Do your best, right?" You know, <laughs> they had booked us a hotel room, and we had to walk quite a distance to get to the hotel, and we didn't know anyone there. And the conference was amazing. It was it was filled with people. It was It was Anaheim. There were like 3,500 people there or something. I, I remember on one night, I think it was the second to last night of the conference. I, I'm sitting sort of in the middle of this place, sort of up in the balcony area kind of like in the dead middle, and I'm sitting with her, there with my cousin, and John Wimber is preaching, and this is, this is shortly bef- before, he, before he dies, and he's, he's spraying fake pig spit in his mouth, and, and he's, he has almost no strength left in his body. And while he's preaching, and it's not because he's charismatic, it's not because he's anything, the life has almost completely gone out of his body, uh, the power of God is just rocking this room. I mean, it is getting just bananas out of control in the best sort of way. At the time, I really don't know what's happening. And finally, John just wraps it up. And it was almost, it was almost as though he wrapped it up out of pure frustration. And, and he says, here's what I want to do tonight. He says, I want everyone here who is between the ages of 18 and 25, I want you to come down. Because we need to pray for you, and we need to make sure... And I remember him saying these words basically, we need to make sure that what started this keeps it going, right? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm close to that. I was 17. So I went down front. And I went right in the middle. And, and a guy came and, and laid hands on me, just, just like we do in the vineyard. And he began to pray for me. And, and I began to feel that feeling again, you know? That, that feeling of being held by perfect love. I was standing up at this moment, at least for a few moments, and, until... Until the guy who had his hands on my shoulders, I had my eyes closed, but you know how you can, you can feel when people are going to do something weird? <laughs> this guy begins to sort of lean over, and I can tell that his head is right about my stomach, and he, he yells the word freedom as loud as a human being can scream the word freedom. I mean, it was pure William Wallace, right? I mean... <laughs> It was the 90s. That was a really cool thing to do, you know. (laughs) But she just shouts freedom into my stomach. And when he does, I'm on the floor again. And it's very similar to the first thing that had happened to me. I just feel these waves come all over my body. And the only thing I can tell you is is I just knew that I knew that I knew that, that I was being held by perfect love. And whoever made me was happy with me. There was there was no disappointment. That's all I can say. There was no disappointment in the love that I was feeling. I eventually get back up and I'm able to to stand up and find my cousin. And it's late, and so we go back to the hotel. And when we get back to the hotel, I we tried to put our my magnetic card into the door to go in. But the door, but the mag- magnetic card won't work. So I can't get it. I'm like, well, that's really weird. And so I go down to the front desk to get a new card and when I do that I realize that my watch has stopped. I'm like That's really weird. So I have a magnetic card that doesn't wor- work any longer and I have, a, I have a watch that doesn't work any longer. I thought that's really weird but I didn't think of it all that much until the next day when we were checking out because I was gonna pay with the credit card. <laughs> and the credit card didn't work. Everything that was electronic or magnetic on my body that night just, just died. Luckily, this was the 90s, so they could do that thing with the card where they like, <laughs> just go back, I don't know, YouTube it, I, you know, some of you don't know. <laughs> they could imprint your card, you know, so she imprinted my card, but everything, everything that was on my body that night that was electronic or magnetic just ceased to work. We had such a power encounter with God but the power encounter was I know that he loves me the spirit came upon me and he convinced me of one thing I know that he loves me sort of the result of these experiences Well, it was a lot of things but I think the main thing that came out of all of this is that my calling got settled my calling got really settled and here's what's interesting from the time that I was four years old I knew that I was supposed to preach Like my earliest memories are I know I'm supposed to preach but I struggled with it my entire life and growing up in the tradition that I grew up in I really struggled with it because the models that I saw were like oh, I don't want to do that you know and I ran away from it but then I began to have powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit and I began to be sure of my calling so as these these experiences and a whole lot more like them that God laid the foundations of his love into my heart and when the foundations of his love got really settled into my heart it's that it's that experience that allowed him to begin to to build the pastoral and the preaching call that he gave me and you know what so much of what we saw in the scripture that we read earlier with Jesus that's exactly how it played out in my life God comes to me and he baptizes me in the Spirit over and over again And I hadn't done anything. I mean, I was a Christian. I was a Christian. But I hadn't walked in my calling, really, at all. In many ways, I hadn't even taken ownership of my faith. Up until those moments, it still felt like maybe I was operating off of my mom's faith. And then, before I had led worship or preached or written any songs or pastored or anything, God begins to move in my life. That's the way he wants to do it at the very, the very things that show up at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, those are the very things that ended up happening to me. And I want to look at this just a little bit closer because these are going to be important for you as well. Luke tells us a few things about Jesus' baptism. The first thing that he tells us is that the Spirit comes and that it comes in bodily form like a dove. The first thing I want you to understand is that it is the work of the Spirit that precedes the work of God in your life. First, the Spirit has to come for you to really walk in your calling. It's the reason that in the vineyard we continually pray, come Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to do the work of God. If you can do it without Him, it's probably not His work. So the Spirit has to come. And then then Luke gives us this 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 little extra nugget. He says that the Spirit came in bodily form like a dove, And we have to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean for the spirit to come in bodily form? I mean, if it's the spirit, why is he coming in bodily form? Well, perhaps the spirit is that dove that came down. We've seen that in paintings. But I think the point of that language is this. I think the point is that that language is an image, and it's a parable. It's a parable that's acted out. So when the spirit comes in bodily form, what that means is this: it's a parabolic way of saying it's the felt presence of God. the felt presence of God. How many of you understand that if a little bird came and flew upon your shoulder, you would know it? what if a, what if a flock of what, if, what if, a flock? What if a flock of doves came in here? And they began to just fly down and settle upon your shoulders how many of you think that you would become aware that there's a bird on your shoulder some of you would be like I'm apparently I'm some kind of a pirate No, this is this is this is gospel language this is this is Luke's language this is the spirits language for us and it's it's a parable language it's it's an image that's saying it's the felt experience of the Spirit yeah if a bird came and rested on your shoulder you would know it you would know it and what that means is this the Spirit is not just an idea that's what Luke is saying the Spirit of God is not just an idea the Spirit is not a figment of your imagination and when you have encounters with the Spirit where you feel them you're not losing your mind that's why we make such a big deal about the presence of God in the vineyard but here's one of the things I've learned about the Holy Spirit just like we saw in this little passage. When he comes, he's often a dove, and he's rarely a rhino. Now, I've had a few rhino experiences. But more times than not, the Holy Spirit is a dove and not a rhino, and this is really important. You can ignore a dove if you want to. You might even be so busy or preoccupied that you don't notice when he shows up. Whereas a rhino is just so obvious and demanding, right? One of the things I've noticed about the work of the Spirit is oftentimes it's totally ignorable. One of the good tests for whether something is God or not is whether or not you could ignore it and say no. God is oftentimes moving in this really peculiar way where you could miss it and you can definitely say no, right? He sometimes comes as a rhino, usually shows up like a dove. Now, the other thing is this. A dove represents a couple things in scripture. The first thing that a dove represents is peace. When Noah built the ark, the flood came and it was a dove that returned. And when that dove came back, it let them know that the flood had stopped and the waters had receded. And so it's peace because God's judgment is over. And so when the Spirit comes upon you, don't be surprised if a new kind of peace comes into your soul and you begin to know that you know that you know that God is not angry. When you know that you know that you know that God is not angry, this is a foundational work of the Spirit beginning in your life. One of the things that God wants to convince his church of right now is that he's not angry. We think he's so angry. The second thing that the dove represents is New life. In that Noah story, when the dove comes back, you guys remember what the dove has in his mouth, right? It has a little twig. And that means that the waters had been given way to dry ground and plants had started to grow again. And so when the Spirit moves in your life, you can expect new life to spring forth. Maybe you'd been one thing your entire life, you begin to have encounters with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you begin to think new thoughts, you begin to have new ideas, you begin to dream new dreams, you begin to take new directions, you begin to take paths you never thought you would go. Why? Because the dove of new life has rested upon you. That's what happened to me. My pastoral call and my preaching call and my worship call, they all got settled during those encounters. Up to those points, I had an inkling but I was scared and I was unsure. And after I had encounters with the Holy Spirit, I became bold and settled. Now, let me tell you what that means. That doesn't mean I wasn't scared anymore. That doesn't mean I wasn't scared anymore. But I got, I got New Testament boldness, which basically means you, you might be afraid, but you are you are, more, you are more in love with God, and you are more convinced that he will not lead you wrong, and you will go anyway. That's what New Testament boldness is. I became became sure, I became a, a more courageous person. And then the most wondrous thing happens. The Father speaks, and this is what the Father speaks to Jesus. And it's what the Father speaks to you and I as well. You are my son, you are my daughter, and you bring me great joy. See, we need encounters like this because we have to know, not just in our heads, but we have to know in our hearts, and in our depths, that we are sons and daughters of God. You and I, we are not sons and daughters when we minister well. You're not a son and a daughter after you get your act together. And you're not a son or daughter after you've had morning devotions five days in a row. Nope. You're sons and daughters because God declares us to be so. And He does it up front before you've done a thing. You know, I have three sons. And I have one daughter, River, Seth, Magnolia, and Rowan. And they just make me happy. And here's the thing about my children, and I think any decent parent feels this way. My children could never, ever, ever make me not love them. I once told my sons, if you become axe murderers, I'll visit you and I'll still love you. It was a weird thing to say. <laughs> but it's true. My sons and my daughter, they could never, ever, ever become the kind of person that I won't love. If they end up in prison, if they end up in jail, I will be there. It will not change the way that I feel about them. The world might change their opinion, but I won't change their opinion because I'm their father. And you are my son and you are my daughter and you make me happy. Just because you are you. Not because you've done anything, just because you are you. Because you're this wonder that appeared out of nowhere and you landed in my arms. And and now you're in my house. And how did this happen? (laughs) I really am that confused. (laughs) Not only that, but as a son, as a son, I ache to hear my father say that he loves me. I ache to hear my father say that I make him happy. It's built into our hearts. I know this about you. Every single person here aches to hear your father and your mother say, you are my son and you are my daughter and you make me happy. And it's no less true of our life with God. One of the main roles of the spirit is to simply amplify the voice of the father in your ears. It is to open you up to the kind words that he is speaking. God is never the voice that is tearing you apart. God's voice is always the one that is speaking to us his love and affection. And I know some of us in the room when I say that, you're thinking, well, well, what about correction? Well, yes, of course, God corrects. Hebrews even says so. Hebrews even says that correction is proof that God loves you and that you're his children. But let me, in, let, me let you in on one little secret here this evening. The Spirit convicts But there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. A big difference. Conviction says you have a problem. Condemnation says you are the problem. And I want you to know something. To your Father in heaven, you might have a problem or two, but you are never the problem. And it is the work of the Spirit that convinces us of this truth. And while we're on it, I want to say this. Only love produces an atmosphere of significant change. You cannot scare people into greatness. You cannot scare people into significantly walking out their calling. Only love produces an atmosphere of significant change. Only love will make us secure and courageous like Jesus. Fear and earning will only produce hired hands. Fear and earning only produce hired hands. Fear and earning will never produce Jesus-like courage. And what is Jesus-like courage? Jesus-like courage is the courage to lay your life down for people who deserve it and people who don't, for your friends and then that next thing for your enemies. And only love can produce that kind of courage. Fear, earning, and effort, it will never, ever do it. All of those things only produce greater insecurity. God will not allow his work to go forth with an orphan spirit. That's the reason at the very beginning when Jesus was baptized, he is confirming, you are my son and you make me happy. Orphans will never ever do the kingdom work. It is convinced sons and daughters of God who will do the kingdom work Because convinced sons and daughters of God know that in our hearts that we are held and that his word is true And he will not he will not leave us out and he will not leave us out hanging dry He will he will come with us and his faithfulness will go with us Uh, Any other voice will leave you insecure and and you will you will be grasping and you will be working and you will be worn out Every other voice Other than the voice of our Father makes us increasingly afraid and insecure. No, the Spirit comes to rest upon us. The Spirit comes to bring peace, and the Spirit comes to bring new life. And then at the end, the Spirit wants to convince you. That you are his son, and that you are his daughter, and that nothing you do could ever, ever change the way he feels about you in his heart. Can I tell you something about God? This is amazing. If you never change, he will love you. If you never change, he will love you. If you change a ton, he will not love you more. had this most amazing experience and we'll wrap it up. Several years I preached a pastors conference on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Do you guys know about Bourbon Street in New Orleans? No. Well, let me just paint the picture for you. Bourbon Street is pretty much the craziest place in all of America. It's in a city called New Orleans. Just think of anything that's insane that people could possibly do, pack it into one little street and have it go on mostly between the hours of midnight and 4 a.m. And that's Bourbon Street. Anyway, several years ago, I got invited to preach this pastor's conference. It was on Bourbon Street. These were not vineyard pastors. These were insane pastors. (laughs) And they rented out a bar on Bourbon Street, and there was about 100 of us in there. And it was like pastors who run churches for like, hardcore scene kids so it's like all these past I mean I was the least tattooed person there you know <laughs> I looked like such a square compared to these guys anyway um, one evening one evening I, I'm preaching they'd ask me would you come and just share something about the love of God so I thought okay that's a little weird but okay I'll do that and so I I was preaching this sermon not quite all that different from the one i have been sharing with you about the love of God and and I began to talk about how if you never change, he will love you. And if you change a lot, he will not love you more. And as soon as I'm talking about this, I realized there are other people who have come in to the room that are not pastors. And at that moment, when I, when I told the pastors, if you never change, he will still love you. And if you, if you change a ton, he will not love you more. As soon as I said that, I, I caught eyes with, with a six foot four transvestite. <clears throat> I just began to weep and I realized that the the entire room had become filled with uh, alcoholics and prostitutes and transvestites and people who work in bars and desperate, desperate people. Somehow, they came in to hear the sermon. And I began to talk about the love of God. And when I did, this bomb went off, mostly in my eyeballs at first, but then... (laughs) <laughs> because I began to realize these are the very people who show up around Jesus, right? Like these are the people who show up around him. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, maybe we're finally doing it. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking on the inside. I'd always had two, two dreams in my heart. I, I'd, always wanted, I'd always wanted those people to show up during my sermon and I always wanted somebody to manifest a demon and go bananas during my sermon. Uh, since then, all of those things have happened and I feel pretty good about that. But I have this moment, there's there's this six foot four transvestite and I am bawling my eyes out. I am bawling my eyes out and all of a sudden the pastors are aware that something must be going on with me and they turn around and there's all of these people, people who desperately need the love of God, people who desperately need Jesus and the spirit just began to fall in that place. No one had prayed. No one had done anything. It was just the proclamation of God's love. The Spirit just so wants to empower the proclamation of God's love. And the Spirit began to fall. And all of a sudden, prayer began to break out. And pastors began to pray for all of these people. And and men and women who were were just drunk and at their very, very, just the end of their rope, they just began to experience and encounter the love of God. And the next thing you know, it's just mayhem. It's just mayhem, right? can't plan it. What is that about? I'll tell you what that's about. If there's one thing that the Spirit wants to do, the Spirit wants to convince all of God's children that you are dearly loved, you are dearly loved. You are his son and you are his daughter and you make him happy. And it's before you do anything, it's before you're significant, it's before anyone knows your name. None of those things matter to God. What matters to God is for you to know that you are cherished. That's what matters to God. And if you build from any other foundation, let me tell you, the house that, that, that is built upon any other foundation, it will surely collapse it will surely collapse. Many of you in this room right now, you are called to be church planners. Many of you in this room are called to be pastors and worship leaders, and you're called to minister to the poor and to do the works of justice. I wanna tell you, until you have this solidly built into your heart, until you have a foundation that is concrete and rebar underneath your feet, that you are forever loved by God before you've done anything that's significant or important, before anyone sings your praise, And before anything else, you have to hear the praises of God in your own heart that he loves you, that you are his beloved son or daughter. If you build upon any other foundation, it will surely fall. And here's what I want you to know. God wants to raise up a house on your life. He wants to raise up a cathedral on your life. He wants to build something from that foundation that many people can come into. Many people, one of the things that God has given me for these meetings is Psalm 68, that he takes the solitary and he sets them into families. I think many of you here are called to be people who take the solitary and you set them into families. How do you do this work for many, many years? Let me tell you how you do this work. You have some people pray for you. Uh, You get quiet. You you stop doing so much and you, you don't do anything. It's just like Jesus told his disciples, don't go anywhere and don't do anything until the Spirit comes on you with power. You need the Holy Spirit. If you can do it without him, it's not his work. And if you can do it without knowing that you're dearly loved by God, it's not his work. If you can do it without knowing that you're a son and that you're a daughter and that your performance is ultimately not what he is interested in, it is not his work and you will work you will work for significance as the world counts significance. You'll work for Instagram followers, you'll work for YouTube followers, you'll even do ministry and you'll pray for people and you'll make videos and put up because you want people to know that you've got the juice. And I'm alright with that to a certain extent, but here's what I'm really alright with. We have to be humble. We have to be the sort of people like Jesus, doing things in secret, working with God in secret, behind the scenes, where no one can see because we know that we're dearly loved and that's the juice that animates our heart. the stuff that wakes me up, I want to tell you God wants to convince this room in England that you are dearly loved and that will be the foundation of your ministry and nothing else. (laughs) By the way, he loves to do this. He loves to do this. Some of us may have even had an inkling like, I think I kind of know that. He wants to convince you again. Can I tell you something? I'm a father. I have four kids. I've never, I've never told my, any of my children that I, only, that I love them one time. I've told all of my children. I, I told all my children I love them like a zillion times. And I told my boys. I said, I, I, I hate to break this to you guys, but until the day I die, I'm kissing you. you know because you are my son and i love you you are my daughter and i love you and you know what god doesn't just want to tell you one time he wants to tell you a zillion times he wants to tell you a zillion times so how about this how about we wait on him and we ask the spirit to come would that be okay yeah i think that'd be great